Lasso. So when I was growing up in a Christian family, a very wholesome family, obliged to go to church every Sunday until I was 18. Then they couldn't get to me anymore. <laughs> there was a theme that was very prevalent, and I think we all know in the Christian church, and that is when bringing to God, God to mind or Jesus to mind, always doing so with a sense of gratitude. Gratitude, very, very strong. Thank you, Lord. And, so, and grace, saying great, thank you, Lord, for the blessings of the food and so forth. And on the one hand, of course, it's a very benevolent, very wholesome, virtuous mind state. On the one hand. On the other hand, and this is not a criticism of, of Christianity, it's just how I would, could connect and couldn't connect with it at that time, given my very, very limited understanding, I must say very superficial understanding. And that is, well, if we're to be grateful to God, uh, who is the creator of the entire universe, we should have one list for all the things we're grateful for. But then wouldn't it be also in the, in the sense of parity, of evenness, um, all the things are complaint list. <laughs> you know, like, there's an awful lot of suffering and rotten things that happen to us as well. And so, thank you, Lord, for this. On the other hand, really, could you have done a little bit better here? I'd like to send a little, do you have a complaint, block, a complaint box? You know, I'd like to really file the complaints here. Um, and so if you could attend to that, I mean, I am very grateful. On the one hand, on the other hand, really, um, you could have done better. There were things like that. And so it just, if it wasn't okay to complain to God, it just struck me as, well, isn't this a little bit uneven? And I say this, this is not a criticism of Christianity, it's not sarcasm towards the religion. What it really is, is highlighting the superficiality of my own understanding at that time. So now I'm going to jump. During the early 70s, you might know, I lived, I lived when, as soon as I moved to Dharmasala, I was given an invitation to move into the home of the Dalai Lama's personal physician, which turned out to be very, very fortunate in many ways. Because um, I got sick a lot, for one thing, and he, he helped me in so many ways, including saving my life. But I remember one, quite vividly one time when I was about 22, 23, something like that, when I was still living in his home before moving up to the monastery. We were outside, as I recall, and, he, and it's um, just farmland and then mountains. And he said, I can point to anything here. You can find anything here in the natural world. You know, out in the, out in the, just anything here. Anything you can point to here in the natural world, I can use it as medicine. I will have a use for it. Right? Whether it's dirt, whether it's an animal, whether it's plant, whether it's poisonous, whether it's food, whatever it is, I can use it. Whatever it is. Right? I said, wow. I thought that was very cool that no matter what you come upon, you can, you, here's a, ma a man who's a master, and he, and he did everything. He was the whole package. Like Galileo was the whole package for a scientist. Dr. Dunning, he made the medicines. He could find the medicines. He could alter the medicines, given t time and place and circumstance and so forth. Superb diagnosis. He could diagnose the pulse like incredibly, probably the greatest Tibetan physician alive. May still be, still alive, I'm happy to say. His urine analysis, just brilliant. But that whole notion... I can take anything there, and I can have some use for it. I can use that for medicine. So now, early childhood, 
and then early adulthood, and like to weave those together. Insofar as our pursuit of happiness is really all about the pursuit of hedonic well-being, then we, it's, there's, we can make a definite prediction that as we assess how the days go and the, and the years and decades go, we'll say, good day, bad day, bad day, bad day, good day, good day, bad day, bad day, bad day, good day, good day, good day, good day. It's going to be up and down, up and down forever until bad day, bad day, oh. And then that's it. Then the story is over. It always ends, oh. Because that's when you lose all the good stuff because you've just been divorced from all hedonic pleasure. Right? So that's how the story always ends. Bad day, oh that. Okay. In which case, you're really grateful for the good days, but not that grateful for the bad days, and so forth and so on. And that goes if you believe in God, it goes to believe in other people, and so forth. Whereas when it comes to cultivation of genuine happiness, and I think of Shantideva, for example, in the sixth chapter, on the patient's chapter, how he comments, when you meet with really difficult people, People may be really mean to you, abusive to you. And he's speaking now as a person who's profoundly devoted to and immersed in the Bodhisattva way of life, and still may encounter really nasty people, dishonest people, exploitive, abusive people. So you're a Bodhisattva, they don't care. You know? He said, when you encounter such people, those are the ones you should really cherish. You should really be delighted to find such an individual. Because as you develop in the Bodhisattva path, fewer, generally speaking, fewer and fewer people will dislike you. Because you're a very nice person. You know? You'll have very fewer and fewer reasons for anybody to dislike you. So you'll have, they'll be rare to find. People will show you gratitude, kindness, warmth, friendliness. They're going to start growing just because you're such a good person. You're so virtuous and kind yourself. But when you find a really nasty person, Oh, that's a person you should really cherish. Really be, oh, I've got, a, I've got a nasty one today. Come home from work. Sweetie, I had this greatest day. I met this really nasty person. I hardly meet them these days. But it was so abusive. He was condescending. He, he actually robbed me. And then he, he smirked as he ran away with my money. It was just so cool. I mean, I haven't experienced that for so long. And it gave me such an opportunity to develop patience and then compassion. All those sweet people, they're nice, but you know, they don't give me anything to work with. Okay, yeah, you're sweet, I'm sweet, all well, but, but this guy was really nasty, and it was so helpful. Because it's so rare. And we see this in the eight verses of the training of the mind. The first teaching, as far as I know, that Dalai Lama ever gave in the West, and I had the enormous honor to be his interpreter at the time, and it's a verse, I can't quote it, but the, the para, para, I should have memorized it by now. He recites it every day, the verse of training mind. So is I am. But there it is. One of the verses is, the essence of it, is if there's someone who you've treated with great kindness, you've really gone out of your way to be of service, and they turn right around and just show you tremendous unkindness and ungratitude, and they're mean and nasty, said, oh, cherish that person like a wish-fulfilling jewel. Right? Because if you can then overcome the old habitual tendencies, of resentment, of arrogance, of condescension, of pride, of blah, 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 all of that, in that kind of situation, if you can still have a sense of benevolence, of compassion, of warmth to a person who repays your kindness with meanness, inconsideration, hostility, abuse, then that's a major accomplishment. Then congratulations, you know, 
Then you are really, then you are deeply involved in it. Then you're really deeply in the practice. That's no facsimile of a practice. That, then you know, oh, this is real. My practice is real. I was able even to embrace this person in my practice, and not in any phony kind of way. So then, you know, I've just dropped in 10 years, and then 10 years later, and 20, 30 years later, over my four decades or so. We come to the practice, the overall the training of the mind, the cultivation of bodhicitta. And then I look back 50 years ago, said, aha. So in the Christian tradition, being theistic, looking at one being as a source of all that flows, but if it's a very profound Christian, and there have been many, and there continue to be many, who are not like the superficial teenager that I was, then they're taking everything that comes, everything that comes as a blessing. And a blessing from one being, God, whom they worship. But everything is a blessing. And so it's always just as full of gratitude. I've gotten ill. Oh, this gives me so much more compassion for other people who are ill. I just had an accident. Oh, much more compassionate and so much gratitude to those who helped me. And whatever's coming, whatever's coming, it's all seen as this is the blessings of God. And so just an ongoing flow of gratitude. And in Meister Eckhart, I remember he said, if you have only one prayer, the great mystic, if you have only one prayer, let it be just thank you. And if that can just be continuous, your one prayer to God is just thank you, then you've really got it. Now we compare this little schmidgen, this little schmurf of myself as a teenager. I got my complaint list, I got my thank you list. Try to do better, God. I'm waiting, you know? Compare that to Meister Eckhart, you see, oh, somebody didn't get it, somebody got it. So this is not a promotion for theism. If, you, if that's part of your worldview, I don't see that as destructive. I see materialism as destructive. I don't see theism as destructive. Unless, of course, it goes bonkers, and that happens. But then Buddhism gone bonkers is also, you know, destructive. But setting aside the theistic, here we are, and whether you believe in karma or not, here is a flow of experience, arising, arising, arising. Again, almost all of it out of control. What's happening to us, the appearances arising. But in this spirit of the four immeasurables, and then the four greats, great mudita, which is where we are again today, and the lojong teachings, the mind training teaching, whatever rise to it, respond with good cheer. That's not referring to any God or gratitude or anything like that. Just maintain that sense of good cheer if your priorities are utterly focused, overwhelmingly focused, on the cultivation of genuine happiness. Then be like that doctor. Whatever comes up, it's dirt, it's a dead reptile, it's bark of a tree, it's a nice ripe peach, whatever it is, say, yep, I can digest that. I, I can take that. That's going to be a balm for the skin. Yes, I can do that. That's for my toenails. This is for my hair. This is what I want to eat, and so forth and so on. That just to see that everything arises to you from day to day here in this very cloistered, protected, benign mind center, and then wherever you're going from here, that it's all equal. It's all equal. But it all depends on you. It's not God crafting, okay, what, what can we throw at you now? How about some cancer? How about, uh, how about loss? How about theft. How about, no, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that. That's just my view. I just, don't see any, I just don't, I see no evidence for that. And even without invoking karma, which I do believe in, whatever your worldview, if you really have a profound commitment to the cultivation of genuine happiness, then you're opening the door to being open to all that arises and then drawing on your wisdom, seeing how can I assimilate this, digest this, so that this too helps me cultivate greater genuine happiness by way of the cultivation of the four measurables, shamatha, wisdom, and so forth and so on.
in which case then your life just becomes a flow of genuine happiness. And then in Buddhism, very strong emphasis, especially in Mahayana, is as you attend to other sentient beings at any time, always look upon each one as you see them cross, uh, passing up by the, on the road and so forth, wherever you, wherever you meet them, the staff here and so forth, wherever you meet them, just as you attend to them, attend to them with a gaze, it's in dependence upon your kindness that I have the opportunity to achieve enlightenment. Whether they're serving you a meal, cleaning the grounds, they've just pickpocketed you, whatever the case may be, all of it is medicine. All of it you can assimilate, digest. It can all be nourishing, bar none. And then when you see that that's evenness, that even sense of gratitude to all sentient beings, and if you like, then gratitude for the blessings of the Buddhas. Why not? They're not there, just sitting inert. They're active. Then if there's that even flow, then you can see how readily you're moving in the direction of Dzogchen, this view of the great perfection, the equality of all that arises, but not just equal in the sense of bland, dull, who cares, but equal in the sense of purity and a very source of bliss itself. The source is not out there. All of this is where we are full participants. And think of those repercussions in quantum cosmology, the observer-participant vision of the whole universe from hardcore science. And here we are, but where, where, where we actually live, not in some esoteric, sublime, abstract theory in modern physics, but right where we live, the notion that we are the observer-participant in our lives and how the life is rising up to meet us corresponds to how we're rising up to meet it. So we can either do it hedonically, up and down, up and down, 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 or a flow of blessing. So that's our choice. That's a big choice. Right? Really fundamental choice. But it is a choice. It's a choice we can make. Which way? Okay. So let's practice. Enjoy your day. All of it. <laughs>